I'm Al Filreis, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of contemporary poetry and poetics to collaborate on a close but not too close reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for a poem that interests us, some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Pen Sound archive writing slash pensound. Today I'm joined here in Philadelphia at the Kelly Writers House in our Wexler studio on the occasion of the celebration of the 20th year of the Writers House by three founding members of the Writers House community those two decades ago. First by Kristen Gallagher, poet, editor, and professor living in Sunnyside, Queens. You still in Sunnyside, Queens? I am who teaches English at LaGuardia Community College, who was a founding member, as I mentioned, of the Writer's House back in 1995-96, whose book We Are Here is 99 pages of writing and transcriptions of recorded speech that capture human interactions with maps, GPS-enabled devices, and other directional media, whose essay Cooking a Book with Low-Level Durational Energy or How to Read Tom Lin's Seven Control Vocabularies appeared in the book Reading the Difficulties, whose essay Teaching Free Air and CUNY Open Missions has been anthologized, and whose chapbook-sized draft of the first chapter of Florida, of a book that is in its small version called Florida, and its long version going also to be called Florida. Mm -hmm. That chapbook aforementioned was published by Well-Greased Press in 2014, and by Josh Schuster, professor at Western University in Ontario, London, Ontario, who recently published a book, The Ecology of Modernism, American Environments, and Avant-Garde Poetics, and who has contributed an essay to, among other books, Radical Poetics and Secular Jewish Culture, whose 1999 chapbook, Project Experience, Museums, Archives, Monuments, and Bureaus, not only was published by the aforementioned Kristen Gallagher on her handwritten press, but was also a great influence on, and was at the time, I think, also influenced by Josh's involvement with the original literary communitarianism that gave rise to the Writer's House back in 1995-96. That sounds like bullshit, but I think it's true. Oh, no, I yeah, love yeah. that book. Yeah. Oh, and also... When looking for that book, thinking I was going to see you, I never I got my you copy. to sign it. I have my oh, copy. And by Carrie Sharon Wright, writer of fiction essays, reviews, who was the first full-time director of this very Kelly Writer's House, who in that capacity for six or seven super productive years, six or seven... Super I say super productive and your face drops. Six or seven super productive years worked closely with me as faculty director, who then went on to become the founding director of the Philadelphia Alumni Writers House at Franklin and Marshall College in Lancaster, PA, who is deeply engaged with projects of public art and is active with street improvement districts, and who, upon leaving this writer's house, was aptly honored with the establishment of the Carrie Sharon Wright Prize, an annual award still given out every year to a student who proposes an event or project best befitting the aesthetic capaciousness and openness that was and is the hallmark of Carrie's leadership of arts organizations. And I'm going to cry. I'm so so grateful to all of you for being here. And it's um, sort of unbelievable that the four of us are in the room together. Kristen, thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to see you guys. I have Same. Yeah. Josh, <laughs> it's been forever, and I know that Toronto's a long way. It's not really a long not way. Not too far. You need to come back. And um, Carrie, a little train ride? A little train good. ride, not far. I have a really a desperate urge to say 
Hi, and welcome to Live at the Right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> when I look at Kristen's That's face, right. Harry was the host for yeah. many episodes well, of Live at the Right. Kristen was the and, producer. Yes. And, the, and yeah. Sarah But Julian. I didn't have to actually keep my cool and talk into the microphone like you. And Sarah Julian, who was the I, student founder, yeah. will be That's here right. for this oh, 20th really? anniversary. That's yeah. delightful. That's great. Well, we're here today to talk about the work of a fifth Writer's House founder, Michael McGee. And that work is a long poem in related sections called Morning Constitutional, which McGee wrote while living here in Philadelphia, while an active member of this poetic community, writing its sections as he walked the city, I think mostly in the morning, public or maybe entirely in the morning, published in 1999 and then again in 2001, I think, and first issued by Kristen Gallagher, small press, hand, the same handwritten press that made Josh Schuster's Project Experience. McGee's book was described by one reviewer as, quote, a breadcrumb trail of juiced urban monologues, rope-a-dope reports for a guarded ordering bordering on an underdog corner restoration and definitional clarity, unquote. So the four of us are going to talk about three sections of this poem. Section 5, which is called 435 Chestnut Street, Benny's Place. Section 6, which is called Independence Hall. And Section 10, which is called Kensington and Huntington Streets, the North Philadelphia Needle Exchange. Mike McGee performed these and other sections of the poem at a reading here at the Writer's House that I think probably all four of us attended on November 12, 2001, along with Louis Cabri, who was the other poet reading that day. So here now are sections 5, 6, and 10 of Mike McGee's Morning Constitutional. 5, 435 Chestnut Street, Benny's Place. Ben's diner for dinner. Didn't you dine and hadn't you been with her? Whither the state of us things, me and my man over there, John Wilkes in his booth waiting on meatloaf. Phyllis and Klaus ordering Jean's special variety, the King Burger, no bun. Ten tiny juke boxes don't make a juke joint. Even if one tells me about mice elf and everyone gives thanks and someone shows up with a juju and people. This is the church. This is the steeple. Steeped in speeches staples. What's the word? On the street, got some change. At the bank, a ten, a five, and five ones. At the Willing Street Wall, buy low and sell high. At the Wailing Mall, feel low and get high. Here, if the gravy make you sick and quit, blame it on the jukes. Wilkes, between booths and the John. It ain't all bad, says he. Come late for the eggs. We do. A new crew pressed in by twos. It's raining. Construction's tunneling makes for thick puddles. We were all due. Six, Independence Hall. Out of the diner into the finer confines of sky and scraper. Face the face of the signer, clutching his documents innocuously and fiercely since 1980. Founding pop done in dark brown, possibly bronze, not stone, glad not to be bone, catching a cold. No viral spirals in bronze since 80. Dutch, the master's writing project, the hall becomes a heritage site. Dictionarily fine diction placards printed at a Webster convention, old Noah 
rubbing elbows with Dan, apocalyptic visions in four edited editions printed in twos, Dewey Decimal Blues. Shelf me, shelf me, Melville Lewis Kosuth D. Keep Mr. W away from me. A present Adams and Jefferson he would denounce. Trounce. Dewey-eyed just thinking about it. To your right is the hall. Watch your step over Kennedy and Lincoln's feet. Old bronze feet, old bronze feet. We want Mary a Terry and no mixing with that Mick, Commodore Barry. Skaters play indie tunes pending censor among the pendants, a human course which, the cops say, becomes necessary to dissolve, to which replies and petitions for a decent respect, a declaration of the causes which impel this castigation. No truths self-evident, no equal lanes, though all this will end up in a commercial. The revolution will not be full of eyes. The revolution will smell of lies. The revolution will not be Hellenized. The revolution will relativize size. The revolution will not be these guys, will not be melanized, will not revise revolution rhymes. Of by four, not of before. Of by four and not before. <clears throat> 10. Kensington and Huntingdon Streets, the North Philadelphia Needle Exchange. Morning again, now and again in Kensington. Keep your eyes on the forums, what they were watching. Learning to declare dependence, W2 Blues Workshop. The rest are at rest, or restlessly rising, or under arrest. The games haven't been changed to protect the indigent. The only change, asking for change and needle exchange. Not what's up, Doc, but what's this look like, Doc? Cellulitis detritus. Cold rush of 98, all's maintenance. Early vernaculars rushing up. Bleed and purge all Kensington. Drive on, Ben. When? Then, when, then. Who can sing Kensington, hum things of Huntingdon? Lots ain't vacant of Cantation's acorns. Plangently they play and plant against placation. No plain speak or sailing among the plaintive. Lots giving birth to lots. Bleed and purge all Kensington. Drive on, Ben. Little leaguers dressed like the Oakland A's, marching in lockstep among members of AA and AAA. Who is the alpha among tables and trays, alcohol pads, antibiotics? Who is the alpha past septic man and septa train? Who is the alpha mingling onto Aramingo among stragglers and goers? Who is the alpha home again, home again, who? A statue, her lip hurting, split, won't split her corner. A cornering under border guard's order or a guarded ordering bordering on an underdog's corner restoration. To resort or restore, 
question the heavens. She is like the stars. You can't see the stars. She is like the stars. She's never seen the stars. She is like the stars. There are no stars. People been driving on for hours. AM radio proudly hailing cabs, bright cars beneath the underpass. There are three. She is three of them. In other words, drivers and passengers both. Proof that it's morning, proof of ID, of purchase, of still being here, the metavan arriving, the exchange beginning. Let's start by going around and just answer the question that most people would ask, which is, what's this whole project about? Good luck. Can you start, Josh? What, what's the general thing you would say about what McGee is trying to do here? Well, I imagine him as like an Emerson walking Philadelphia streets in like the late 90s and uh, just wide-eyed about, you know, Emerson listening to hip-hop and seeing what's become of Philadelphia um, and taking it all in. Great. Kristen, that's a good start. What would you say in general? You really know this thing because you typeset it, I guess, didn't you? I did typeset it, yeah. And I was I was very close to Mike when he was writing it. Um, and I, I used to live in the neighborhood where the needle exchange is too. So um, we talked about that a lot as he was writing this. I guess I see this book as somebody who's really interested in history and the promise of democracy and all those kind of, you know, as he says, founding pops, founding fathers' ideas, um, but who's also living in a city where um, the things that are happening and the walk from his neighborhood to the Needle Exchange um, really throw into question um, some of how we're doing with those democratic values, Um, you know, it's like he's walking past all the monuments that are just so readily available, marking important historical founding of the United States all over Philadelphia, but also, you know, gathering language and um, looking at things as they are in the 90s, uh, black history, poverty, the crack and heroin epidemics, on his way to work at a needle exchange. Um, so it kind of, those two things in dialogue, you know, poverty and the promise of democracy, Great. Mm. Carrie, you want to add to that? Well, I think I would I would agree with what Josh and Kristen said. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about what the rhyme was doing. And I think it's so related to what Kristen is saying that it's like there's no progress here. And there's the echo of the founding fathers in a city that remains completely unjust. And there's a sense that we're surrounded by all of this historical all these historical reminders that, um, you know, this Disney-like myth of the founding of America. And it seems to me that Mike is capturing the sounds of what it's really like. Really well said, too, because um, I keep thinking about um, what happens when that language gets reduced to its basics, that tradition of democratic rhetoric, and you get that series of prepositions. They were actually Lincoln's. They weren't constitutional. They were Lincoln's later at the end of Independence uh, Hall. The of by right? four. Of by four, not of yeah. before, of by four. So that when you, when you reduce the American proposition down to its constituent pieces, what you get is the glue of language which is the prepositions, which place us in relation to the polity. And when you, and when you do something poetically experimental, 
you have to work with the with that glue. That's what's left. But that's a perfect segue to talking. Let's go around again and talk about the language. Let's each of us say something about the way the language works. Actually, I would say first that the taking like sort of these basic words, connecting words like before, of, after, um, it's very pragmatist. It's sort of looking at how the language connects amongst each other, amongst different words and then connects to people and how people use it, how it's used in daily life. Pragmatism was not about trying to sort of have a philosophical answer to, to sort of the, the nation's problems. It but, wasn't pragmatic Yeah, in the way we use that word. No, no, no. yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, trying to respond to sort of everyday empirical life. Um, mm-hmm. And so this, that's what this language is coming from. But to me, I hear a lot more hip hop uh, throughout mm-hmm. this, this mm-hmm. stuff. You want to pick out an example? Well, there's the juke joint, kind of people hanging out in the juke joint, and then uh, a 10 of five of five others. I mean, there's, you could say jazz as well, but sort of jazz, hip hop, kind of mm-hmm. that blend. Yeah. It ain't just... all bad, says he, come late for the eggs. Um, there's a sense that oh, somewhere, you know, between kind of uh, freestyling it and. Um, and the sort of urban undergrime of the rap scene is flowing through this language. And then he integrates it with puns on American historical language. So, so John Wilkes booth. in his booth yeah. at the diner. Mm-hmm. Kristen, you want to say something about the language of this poem, of this project? Yeah, I'm really responding to what Josh is saying. Um, I had been thinking of it as almost vernacular versus uh, the monumentality of history in Philadelphia, you know? So you... As he goes on his walk, he's seeing um, all these monuments, but what's happening around them is um, people living their everyday lives. So you get linguistic density and diversity. Um, You get this kind of observation and listening to what's happening in the surroundings um, and riffing off um, the language, uh, the monumental language of American history that's kind of plastered all over around the city. Yeah, I would agree with that. And um, just thinking about, I, I I was also wondering about hip hop and and rap and jazz. And I guess part of my mind always wants to find a unifying principle. Like it's like, or what is the pattern and what are the variations? And it seemed to me that it was in the end, it was very jazz like. I mean, I maybe the jazz of the free jazz that you yourself practice, Josh, like that kind of jazz, you know. I it remember felt... Josh playing free jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We yeah. all do. I mean, it, be, uh, <laughs> even though there is a lot of rhyme and there's a lot of sonic echoing and play, it feels like it riffs out and then it comes back and it nice. picks up a little bit of hip hop, but then it throws in these really dense syntactical constructions mm-hmm. that are filled with 20, 50-cent words, you know? And I think that that's, that feels to me like is there's a virtuoso quality yeah. to it. I really, Yeah, I really feel like riffing yeah. is the best word in a way it, um, for how to read this poem too, mm-hmm. right? Because um, I've taught this um, and, and discussed it with some colleagues um, many times over over the years, and sometimes people respond to it they want it to be kind of in the Olson tradition. It's a mm-hmm. poem about place or space or something. And I feel like it, it's not meant to be read that deeply, right? Like all these words are markers of something you're supposed to burrow into. It's riffing off the surface of the language as he's finding it kind of mixed with real life happening on the street, you know? It's mm-hmm. a very different way to think of history. What would you say? Actually, at some point I also was thinking of Pound, and there's this in, in sections... Six, there's this quote. It says, at present Adams and Jefferson, he would denounce. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that m- maybe 
directly from Pound, but it's actually from Emerson, I found out, mm. uh, his essay on the fugitive slave law. But I think you're, I totally agree with you that there's this sort of riffing and sort of lightness to the poem, but then it also dives really intensely into this these American debates. Cool. I think Independence Hall is a perfect example of what the three of you are talking about uh, with Carrie's attention to how it will switch suddenly into demotic speech. Um, and Kristen's focus on the on monumentality of Philadelphia, sort of the ready democratic rhetoric. So in his Independence Hall work, the poem works really well for this. And why don't we look at the end of it? What you get is that literal, I think a literal mo- monument, uh, Li- Kennedy and Lincoln's feet, old bronze oh, feet. Oh, so God, what a beautiful line that is. Right. And mm-hmm. then suddenly the poem, I think, turns on skaters play because we are now in the present. Mm-hmm. We're now at indie tunes pending censor. So these are marginalized art makers, young. And then you get the Gil Scott Heron, uh, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, which he does this McGee-like riffing on. And that, it seems to me, is a great great spot for us to talk about all these things because it gets very complicated. No truths self-evident, no equal lanes, though all this will end up on a commercial. The revolution will not be full of eyes and so forth. Anybody want to talk about the language in that section? And do you agree with me that the poem turns toward the present and makes its own music at that point? I mean, we've been talking earlier in that section about Noah, about Webster, about dictionarily fine yeah. diction. And do no. we? I kind of wanted to start with that part, the, the Noah yeah. Webster, Daniel Webster, Dewey Decimal system. Because mm-hmm. I, I think in part it also, he's trying to riff on or go back to this moment when Daniel Webster is trying to honor the inventiveness and and is excited about, you know, um, Adams and Jefferson himself and their inventiveness with language. And Noah Webster is someone who tried to nail down the American language. So there really, there's an opposition kind of set up there that Mike's book is acting in the space of, right? And then you go to the skaters thing. If I remember correctly, I think it was Mm. at that moment there was a park. The Love Park. was There was a huge battle about whether or not skaters could ride on the sculptures in the Love Park. They had basically already been doing it. They adopted the park, right? And then Mm -hmm. they were getting kicked out. And so it's this idea of, you know, can people use space the way that works for them? Can they use language the way that works for them? Um, And human course calls upon the Declaration of Independence, right, when in the course of human events and so forth. So it basically Mm, reminds mm -hmm. us that the skaters who are pending censor within the shadow of Independence Hall, this is sort of basic political criticism, but done through the language of the promise of the democracy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I see that in this. And then I also see um, moments of lyricism very rarely played, very seldomly placed. And I, I wondered about those. I was curious to hear what you guys would say about them. Like to me, give us an example. Well, old bronze feet, old bronze mm-hmm. feet. I just, I thought that was beautiful. I mean, first of all, it stops you and you start thinking about people of color mm. and old bronze feet and feet that have been overlooked, feet that have been denied mm. the right to vote, feet that have been denied a place in the democracy. And at um, the beginning of the poem, it says, you know, of this statue, right, a dark brown, oh, possibly bronze, not stone, not right? Stone. So had to call one of those old, obviously bronze statues brown, 
I think is really interesting. Yeah. And so it's it's sort of like I'm going to reimagine this space to include everything that's been written out of it. But occasionally I'm going to let myself riff. And there's that great line in the next one. It feels like the poet is sort of trying to figure out, and this is this could be me projecting, but the poet's trying to figure out how to voice a perspective in the din of language. Well, how to capture, how to how to absorb Philly and put it on the page, and put it on the page. Like yeah. who can sing of Kensington, which to me is like yeah. Whitman, 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 exactly. Whitman. Yeah. yeah. So, what's important to me, and mm-hmm. I just love the fact that the three of you are gathered here. All three of you, you at Temple University, the two of you at the University of Pennsylvania, and Mike at the University of Pennsylvania, um, at slightly different times, but you know, let's just say the same era, mm-hmm. um, wrestling with. The state of the academy with what it, what it's like to be a writer or interested in experimental writing and to be writing in all four cases a dissertation um, and then and then writing in a poem in, in in a city which is the so-called cradle of democracy and writing a poem which refers to the Dewey decimal blues shelf me shelf me there's some I'm inviting you to be as personal as you like to be about the struggle that Mike must have been going through. Am I a poet? Am I a, a radical Democrat? Am I writing a dissertation, I believe, on pragmatism? Am I right about yeah, that? Yes, and jazz. And jazz, jazz and pragmatism. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah. What, who am I? Where do I live? What happens when I walk through? What about the needle exchange in relation to my doctoral program? Kristen, I know you've thought a lot about these issues. Do you want to just... Talk about them. The do, do you have the Dewey Decimal Blues once in a while? I think so. <laughs> I mean, I think it probably. I, I ended up teaching at a community college, um, so in some ways, my relationship to this is different. You know, I spend a lot of time encouraging students with other Englishes um, from the more creative bottom end up to you know embrace that, and I think that's close to Mike's value system also. Um, Mike, who is currently an educational reformer working in the public sphere. Absolutely, right. Josh, your thought on this? Dewey Decimal Blues and all that? Yeah, I feel it too. I mean, I spent 10 years in Philly and I I just, I love the city and also I, it exhausts me. And um, I, it's it's both full of, you know, brotherly love, but also grimy. And um, you, you have to sort of fight for your place in Philly. And I think this poem has all that in there. What I, I really like about this poem, though, is that it touches all the notes of, you know, we've got blues and sadness and melancholy, and you've got uh, tremendous excitement, sympathy, um, sort of wandering and unsure of yourself, and everything is sort of mushed in. It doesn't discriminate in, in the sort of, and even in the emotional or in the linguistic registers. Mm, well said. Carrie, yeah, your I thoughts love, on this? I love that. I, I agree, and I also think there's a love poem in it. I mean, Dewey was a person who fought for women's rights. He pioneered work for women. And and there's that lovely line in the – so this isn't about me. This is about Mike, and I'm, I, I don't know for sure. But when Mike and Sue were first together, um, I remember he was really in awe of the fact that she had started the needle exchange. Mm-hmm. And there's that Dewey-eyed wonderful, just thinking Dewey about eye it. Dewey-eyed just thinking about yeah. it. And then good, the line, good, good. we're a new crew pressed in by twos. It's raining. Didn't he dine with her? Um, and then at the end, it's a, a new beginning. Like, I feel like there's a hopefulness at the end that has to do with maybe it's 
it, it's just the promise of some somebody seeing someone else he loves doing something that could make a difference, and and I really respond to that. Out of the diner into the finer. Out of the diner into the finer. The diner, of course, refers to the previous poem, which we also had in our selection. So we move from that poem into the finer confines of Sky and Scraper. I keep thinking in the last couple minutes of what Josh said about what it felt like to be in this town. You really can't go anywhere without running into the formation of the early republic. Mm -hmm. And yet there's certainly then and, and now failures abounding and you run face to face into a signer everywhere you go. Signer, as in the signer of the Declaration of Independence and the signer of the Constitution. The first um, gesture was a revolutionary gesture for which you would hang. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so and, and the yeah. question becomes what's what's left, yeah. what's left of, of that? Two hundred yeah. years later. Well, so. and maybe in the decisions that were made then, you know, because it's the no dec- equal lanes and no truths self-evident that yeah. all people are created equal. Except. No, no truths. <laughs> there is no such thing as self-evident truths. Yeah. If, yeah. if there were, then it would have been equal from the start. No equal lanes. Let's uh, do a quick close reading of the Gil Scott Heron usage. Um, so after the no equal lanes, though all this will end up in a commercial, on a commercial, the revolution will not be full of eyes. The revolution will smell of lies. The revolution will not be Hellenized. The revolution will will relativize size. The revolution will not be these guys, will not be melanized, will not revise revolution rhymes. Anybody want to take any of those? Sure. I think actually, I mean, the Gil Scott Heron poem is so powerful and... and, um, and direct and and so influential and influential on the future the present of yeah. this poem because this, it's much earlier this to me doesn't feel as as sort of direct i think it's still kind of full of wandering um you know not be hellenized or relativized size i'm not sure where well, do, do uh, paraphrase mm-hmm. will not be hellenized i mean it's not going to be turned into a greek republic i guess or well, or will not be made classic mm-hmm. yeah right um, the revolution will not be full of eyes to me is it won't be full of the eyes of all the actual people in this space who would look up at the camera. It will not it will not show them. Yeah. Will not be melanized That's is the a bank. reference the to the bank yeah. or to the, the foundation. Grant. I know. I thought the foundation. The foundation. Mm-hmm. Will not revise revolution rhymes. Skaters play indie tunes pending censor among the pendants, a human course which, the cops say, becomes necessary to dissolve, to which replies and petitions for a decent respect, a declaration of the causes which impel this castigation. No truths self-evident, no equal lanes, though all this will end up in a commercial. The revolution will not be full of eyes. The revolution will smell of lies. The revolution will not be Hellenized. The revolution will relativize size. The revolution will not be these guys, will not be melanized, will not revise revolution rhymes. Of, by, for, not of, before. Of, by, for, and not before. I, when I hear it, too, though, I think, where is poetry in this? So there's also... I feel like there's also an argument about poetry 
Um, so it's not just in response to Emerson and Lincoln, but it's also really a conversation with Whitman. Like I'm walking and I'm seeing, and I cannot find a prophetic voice. There's too much water over the dam. And in fact, there was water over the dam when the dam was built. Like there's, there's Kensington was already a place of tremendous suffering. The history of Philadelphia is not what we've been taught to think that it is. And so the voice of the poet comes in to, I, I kept using the word din, but comes into just a cacophony. And of course, and Whitman feels, was so open to those sounds. He in, was so open, but he found a way to knit them so that it all came back to the body. And the only things about the body here are like catching a cold. I love those little lines that are like, the body can't encompass all this. All you four know, of us heard uh, Michael McGee developing this style because we heard him at various readings. Um, but I want to make sure that we didn't finish this conversation without putting our finger through some examples of the kind of torquing and punning and pushing that he's doing. So I would invite all three of you just in turn to pick out a phrase or a line that epitomizes that that movement, that push of language. I. I want to say the games haven't been changed to protect the indigent. Where is that? This is in the Kensington section. Section 10. Section 10. The games haven't been changed to protect the indigent. The only change, asking for change and needle exchange. Right. Not what's up, Doc, but what's this look like, Doc? Can we, f I mean, this is obvious, but not everyone will hear the idiomatic original behind mm -hmm. the games haven't been changed to protect the indigent. Can you do the original? Um, Can anyone? To, to protect the innocent, but I can't well, remember names. Names, names. names have, have been, been changed, changed to protect, to protect the, innocent, the innocent. This is games haven't been changed. That's a classic mm -hmm. McGeeism for sure. Josh, you have one? Well, actually, I'm going to go with the title of the poem since yes. we haven't even talked about it. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, Great pun. Yeah. We all, well, there, it, so there's obviously a joke about going to the bathroom in the morning. Yeah, are you taking sure? Was just oh, definitely sure. taking, taking a walk. No, no, no. Did you look this up? Oh, every, I've never. Oh, yes. Do you do does you take the your walk lead to the to the going to the bathroom? It could. No, yeah. the more, no, no. I no, guarantee no. Guys, you. I'm older than you guys. The morning constitutional is that brisk exercise that's walk that man in particular took in the that's morning what, with a cane and a hat. That's what you might. That's certainly one one version okay, of it, but Josh. I promise Maybe you. Maybe there's intergenerational. I promise you. No, <laughs> go with the peeing. I think go you can. I think you can find it in Thoreau, even and so on. Okay, but nice. um, it means taking a dump in the, your morning dump. Oh, it's not just peeing. Well, yeah. of course, constitutional refers to the how is your con how regular are you? How constitutional? Yeah. Okay, got it. I promise it. Okay, so that whole you know the I, I would even well that scatology and the kind of dirtiness is kind of here and there in the poetry, but um, I do want to actually even bring up, to me, that's, there's a kind of flarf feeling, and that, that flarf, flarf was coming in, the few, in a couple of years down the road. For this the, is pre-flarf. It's pre-flarf, but to put that little scatology joke in there, um, Pledge, I think, is even more. Pledge is a series of poems also in this book. It's even more flarfy, mm -hmm. but... And Pledge is a series of homophonic puns on, uh, playing off of the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'll... I would say I plug elegance, for instance. He would say mm -hmm. in that poem. Yeah, I teach that poem. It makes. I mean, Flarf felt so in your face and um, cynical. But I think if you look at this sort of early kind of proto Flarf, it feels much more um, like you feel more part of this poem, um, and mm -hmm. that the democratic kind of origins of Flarf are here. Kristen, uh, a little language. 
I think that the entire Section 10 actually is mm. the most moving. And in part, it's because I want to disagree with Carrie in a way mm. when she said earlier that there's, it seems hopeful, um, the, the needle exchange. For me, that section really reads like the ultimate challenge to the democratic ideals promised by the city. And he starts at his house in 10th and Spruce, which is probably the nicest neighborhood in the city, walking through the historical... We lived on the same street. Many graduate students live down Mm -hmm. there. And then you walk north through the historical district, but then immediately above that, things start getting really dicey, Mm -hmm. and they get dicier and dicier and dicier. Mm -hmm. And when you get to Kensington, you have to ask yourself, like, what are we doing? What is the hope here? It doesn't feel very hopeful to me. No. No, you're right. You're and right. bleed and purge all Kensington. Drive on, Ben. Bleed and purge all Kensington. I know that's coming from Benjamin ben Rush, Rush and this idea of bleeding and purging as a way to end illness. And there was a yellow fever epidemic in Kensington that that refers to. But it also seems like that bleeding and purging is still happening with the poor and the crack epidemic and it's it's i so agree with you in the lines she's like the stars you can't see the stars here yeah. it's like but then that line the metavan arriving arriving the exchange beginning and i thought there's that idea of exchange instead of sucking the resources out of a place or something like something's coming in and something's going out it seems like there's this moment of Connection and it's riffing on exchange, but I it's the the riff is so So, full of possibility and the exchanges of needles. It's possible that someone hearing this conversation would not know what a needle exchange is. Can we say what that is? Sure. I mean, so what his wife Sue, she was in uh, medical school at the time, and the the Kensington needle exchange started because. HIV was spreading like crazy in Kensington because of sharing needles and because heroin had really made a huge explosive comeback in the 90s. Um, And Sue became the volunteer medical advisor um, to people who were coming to exchange needles to come see her about so other problems you they were You bring your having. dirty needle. You bring your needle and, and you and get clean no needles. No judges In spite you of the complaints of the moral majoritarians on the right who said that's simply encouraging drug use, the idea of these reformists was to was to not to condone drug use, but to give at least clean needles. Instead, yeah, instead of telling people mm-hmm. to stop using heroin, you say, bring your dirty needles so that you're not reusing and sharing needles. We'll give you fresh needles. Right. And the, the, er, right. the it's still a political hot potato, and it's even more necessary now than it was then, which is another thing. I thought the poem was still so relevant and contemporary. Did you guys think that? I was like, this is... People still argue about... About needle, needle exchange, exchange yeah. and they still, in Philadelphia, yeah. still struggles over how to sell itself, you know, in a, from a historical perspective. This leads me to my little languagey thing. Mm. Um, leads directly, actually. Um, my favorite line in, in Poem 10, uh, Kensington and Huntington Streets, the North Philadelphia Needle Exchange, is very f- pre-flarfish, very dense. Lots ain't vacant of cantations, acorns. There's all that internal rhyme with the long A's and so forth. Really good. Lots ain't vacant, so you've got vacant lots. And, of course, lots also means much, many. Lots ain't vacant. They're not vacant of cantations, acorns. Um, Cantation, of course, is song. It's a, a plaint. And then 
and that leads at the end of this marvelous poem or near the end of it with the least pre-flarfish or proto-flarfish language and arguably the most lyric. She is like the stars. You can't see the stars. She is like the stars. She's never seen the stars. She is like the stars. There are no stars. To me, this is um, tremendous empathy of, I'm just assuming in the narrative, the observation of the spouse of the person who's organizing this project, which is to serve uh, drug addicts in the city progressively. And here's a Whitmanian observation of one of these people, a woman, presumably in the evening. I'm just sort of reading into it. And this is the cantation. Lots ain't vacant of cantations, acorns. If you hear, if you listen, uh, if you really listen, you're going to hear something that is the most tradition in the most traditional sense, the beauty of the lyric, which is the relation of a person to stars in a city where it's there's so much light pollution you can't see the stars. Maybe she's never seen the stars, and yet the relationship in the lyric tradition between the person who is singing and the stars is so fundamental, and I find that very moving. All right. Let's go around for final words on this. Something that you meant to say in this conversation that on your trains and planes that you had wanted to say, but haven't yet had a chance to. Let's go around. Josh, I know you have something. Sure. You have many things to yeah, say. Yeah, well, absolutely. But um, drive on, Ben. You know, uh, I think Mike McGee should write um, the Ben Franklin kind of version of Alexander Hamilton Broadway hip hop play and, <laughs> and make it happen for Philly. It's, he would be perfect, and this poem is sort of the, the scaffolding for that future play. Mike McGee, are you listening to this? It's time for you to move from Providence or wherever the heck you are down to New York, to Broadway. Are you yeah. serious? Yeah, absolutely. All, All right, good. And you've done perfect. an education, write a musical, Yeah. career three. That's right. It would be, th- it would be his <laughs> third career. That's yeah. why you got your PhD. Yeah. Kristen Gallagher, final word, final thought. I, I, one thing that has just been on my mind since um, I started rereading this for today is how pre-gentrification Philly uh, this poem is, too, because the walk from Independence Hall to Kensington was pretty treacherous the whole way, um, and certainly the worst poverty of the city but that whole area has mostly been turned into art galleries and um, an art scene, except that there's still one section of Kensington that is so unsalvageable in a way that um, the gentrification went around it. Um, and I just can't help but think of that. My, th- my thought has to do with Mike and what it's like to try to be a poet and the poet and thing. And so I wonder what he hears now. I'm sure he hears a lot of language, and I would love to hear what he hears. I just I read this and I missed him. And Maybe I missed that's his an writing. indirect way of saying Mike write some more. Write poems some more poems. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, write some more poems. My final word is could turn into something smushy, but I'll try to keep it from being too much that. Um, mostly, poem talk gathers people who are not the perfect people to talk about a poem some odd combinations or unusual combinations. I think that's one of the values of this series. As, as I've gone on more and more into the later episodes, I'm really interested in surprising 
conversations and bringing people in who would never read that poet, but now that they have, wow, interesting. But this is kind of a counter argument to that because the four of us know the poet. We're, we all four of us have lived in this city. We lived with this poem. We heard him read it in the recording for Poem Talk. All four of us were in the room. I just think that's a really good approach to poetry. I think despite what I just said about bringing in four strangers, I think there's something really valuable about what we've done here with the poem. I think we've provided a whole lot that people who didn't know all this context wouldn't be able to. I'm, I think I'm saying something obvious. Mm-hmm about close reading, which is that you want to bring all that historical, personal, biographical, urban historical stuff to it and that sensibility about how we feel about the city. So, well, we like to end Poem Talk with a minute or two of Gathering Paradise, which is a chance for several of us or all of us, if you're quick, to spread wide our narrow Dickinsonian hands to gather a little something really poetically good to hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world. And Josh, you look like you're ready sure. to gather <laughs> some paradise. Yeah, I'm really um, enjoying this book called Decomp, written by Stephen Collis and Jordan Scott. And it's based on putting Charles Darwin's um, On the Origin of Species book out in, in sort of different landscapes for a year and then coming back to that book <laughs> and seeing what happened to it and, uh, wow. and kind of write through the language that's left over of the book. It's just a beautiful book. Fantastic. Thank you. Say the title again. Decomp. Decomp. Kristen Gallagher, Gather Some Paradise. Okay. Um, I've been more excited every year by this poet, Lawrence Giffen. He has a new book out called Plato's Closet. And uh, he has a blog and a website, lawrencegiffen.com. And just this morning, I was reading a new short essay of his... um, Anarchy and Objection, in an Inconsistent Theory of Inconsistency. And I think it's a great um, analysis of inconsistent language and inconsistent use of capitalization and punctuation and other kinds of things um, as a kind of anarchist spirit in poetry that still lives. Fantastic. Uh, say the name of the poet again. Lawrence Giffen. Fantastic. Carrie is, Sharon Wright gathers Is there a way to put to words the yeah. hand gesture? Oh, Kristen you want to describe yeah. it? I don't know if I can. <laughs> it's more, it's so, a, uh, I made the heavy metal devil horns okay. with my pinky <laughs> with and both yeah. heavy metal. Thank you. Yeah. With two horns. hands. Yeah. <laughs> Double devil horns. So I, I want to recommend a book that I actually only just ordered, but it's by a friend of mine who teaches at Franklin and Marshall College. His name is Eric Anderson, and the book is called Etranger, and it's a memoir um, that is also an anti-memoir. It's like a genre I'm really interested in, but it's a story about becoming a father, thinking about being an artist, and not wanting to redeem oneself, but having the temptation to. So. Yeah, and since your goal it. in doing a Gathering Paradise is to get people to go get it, you should probably spell or say the title. So again. the press is called Rescue Press, and the book is Etranger, E T R A N G E R, and the author's Eric with a K Anderson. Great. Wait, Thank can I you. say one more paradise thing that I want to gather? You're gathering paradise. A second time? Yeah. Because Only you, Josh. He hasn't Josh. been here yeah. in a while, so he has a lot of paradise. Get it all out. I, don't, I don't know how, what number this is going to be, but it's over 100, these poem talks. 
And to, oh. to me, this is paradise. Oh. This, it's oh, incredible. Gosh, I'm so glad I let I you know. do a second paradise. Can we? <laughs> can we? You. Can we agree to that? I too? agree. And just say this That's is great. You yeah. might want to edit out what I'm going to say, but oh. we just went to Josh and I just both went to a conference in Buffalo about a month ago, <laughs> and uh, it was a very similar gathering in a way, gathering all the people who had ever been part of that program. Um, but it was really remarkable how getting ready to come here, I I felt like all my memories were of collaboration, community, mm. support, mm. love, love. I think we're Lots keeping that love. in. Zach, we're keeping that in. He's nodding. Yeah, my gathering paradise is Kristen Gallagher. So in this, she tells me this like just scratching the surface tip of iceberg part of first chapter, some of which will go away, Florida, which is available for a, as a download PDF for the moment. Eventually, we're going to get the big book. Absolutely. Okay. But in the teaser piece is a poem called The Order of Things in Florida. Are you going to keep that one? Yeah. Okay, good. And I really loved it. Um, of course, as a Stevensian, all I could think of is the idea of order at Key West. So The Order of Things in Florida is a kind of a reference to that modernist, fictive, projecting onto reality, sh imagination is all that, you know, sort of jar in Tennessee kind of thing. And that's something that Kristen Gallagher is going to complicate, I'm sure. And she does in this poem. And I just want to read you the last two lines of this wonderful poem. Broken shades, a landscaper who wears eyeliner, 10,000 ponds, a decked out truck with purple lightning, Children being pulled over for driving drunk parents. Metal head strippers disappearing on swamp hikes. Mm. Love that. Mm. I love that. <laughs> Kristen Gallagher, it's called mm. Florida, and please wait for it to come. Well, that's all the indie tunes pending censor we have time for on Poem Talk today. Poem Talk at the Writer's House is a collaboration of the Center for Programs and Contemporary Writing and the Kelly Writer's House and Penn Sound at the University of Pennsylvania. And the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guests, Carrie Sharon Wright, Josh Schuster, and Kristen Gallagher. And to Poem Talk's director and engineer today, Zach Cardner. And to Poem Talk's editor, the same amazing, talented Zach Cardner. Next time on Poem Talk, Zach and I will be taking Poem Talk on the road again, this time to Washington, D.C., where we'll record from the Poetry and Literature Center inside the Library of Congress. And with Rob Casper, Mark McMorris, and Mel Nichols, we'll be talking about sections from the book One Big Self by the late C.D. Wright. This is Al Filris, and I hope you'll join us for that or another episode of Poem Talk.